UX Podcast Episode 151. Hello and welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm James Royal Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. And we're balancing business, technology and people every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. With listeners in 163 countries around the world, from the Cook Islands to Bolivia. <laughs> and today we have with us uh, Dave Gray, uh, who's been on the show before actually. He's an expert in agile, iterative techniques like visual thinking, Culture Mapping and Game Storming, which is a book actually co-authored as well. Uh, and these techniques are all used to get people engaged and involved in making changes in their organizations and in their lives. And his latest book, which we'll talk more about today, is Liminal Thinking, Create the Change You Want by Changing the Way You Think, in which he delves into why some people succeed at change while others fail. Big hint, it's the way they think. So he outlines <laughs> ways of creating change by understanding, shaping, and reframing beliefs. Let's go ahead and ask him what some of his beliefs are. Well, last, last time we talked to you, Dave, was, was here in Stockholm in 2014, and you, you just, you just um, published The Connected Company um, sometime just before that, and you were um, facing the questions about um, how do you make a connected company? How, does, how do you get there? And this had led you into... Um, principles of agility, which you talked to us a bit about in the podcast. Now, now looking around um, and, and following some of the posts and things you made, at some point during 2014, I reckon, you, you made some kind of um, l- logical leap, or there was something happened to you. There's a moment of revelation where you moved on to liminal thinking. What happened? Yeah, well, I was, the, so the, the idea that I started with was that uh, agile software development was a, a way of working that was going to be more common in organizations in the future. And I thought, okay, you know, I, I'd, writ- I'd written this book, The Connected Company. I had people asking me, um, how, how do we become a more connected company? How do we start this transition? How do we make this transformation from being a, for lack of a better word, divided company to being a connected company? And uh, I did feel like the agile work practices, some sort of the stuff that might go under the umbrella of, uh, lean and agile uh, were provided a lot of clues. I mean, what the business of software is doing is handling and responding to change more rapidly than um, they had in the past and uh, businesses needing to do the same thing. So I thought, okay, this will be an interesting area to explore. And I really didn't know a lot about (laughs) agile software development going in. And uh, so I had this premise that this is a Something I want to learn about, something I want to see if it, you know, talk to about translating this into large organizations. People are, a lot of the people that I work with are struggling with change and dealing with change and taking these older existing structures and trying to find ways to shift them, move them, replace them. So, uh, so this idea of moving from, you know, more rigid structures, more agile structures was very intriguing to me. And as I started interviewing people, I got, I did get a lot of interesting stuff, but I also got a lot of, well, we're trying to operate in an agile way, but we can't be agile. We can't do agile without, uh, because the, the structure around us won't allow us to be agile. The 
business is uh, built in such a way that we can't be agile. And I um, started to hear that, not from everyone, but I heard it enough times to make me think, well, maybe I'm talking to the wrong people because uh, if what I mean by agile is you're able to maintain momentum and balance even when those structures are you know designed against you, that there's, you know, and I, 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 I thought, well, maybe the agile is, you know, not the right name for this. If you can't do it within a rigid organizational structure or around or in spite of a rigid organizational structure, then um, what is it that I'm looking for? Because agile maybe isn't it. And I also noticed that uh, in the agile community, the, the leaders and the people that I spoke to were um, pretty much universally looked like me. <laughs> they were middle-aged white men and uh, I thought perhaps I'm also missing something on just the diversity of uh, people that I'm talking to because uh, you know I think it's sort of like it was it was uh, uh, it raised that question anyway when I looked at all the videos I was like wow this is a sea of white faces maybe I need to start you know expanding my my uh, search a little bit so I uh, I started talking to, I started expanding my search for people to interview to people like uh, humanitarian aid workers, uh, people in the uh, uh, in the firefighters, uh, 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 police soldiers, people who have mountain climbers, people who have to be agile regardless of whether the environment around them is opposing them or or maybe people shooting at them or other things that would you know uh not you know where there's no ex you can't make that excuse that the structure isn't allowing me to be agile it's the fault of the structure or the fault of the environment where people uh, re regardless of difficult or shifting environments were able to maintain and, and be effective i was really interested in you know what is it that allows people what are some common themes about what allow people to be effective in adverse environments and under adverse conditions? And this is where the liminal thinking uh, emerged was uh, I started to realize as I expanded the scope of the inquiry that there are things that, uh, that, that people who are effective in adverse environments and under difficult conditions who are able to continue to be effective in those conditions, they have certain things in common. And it was pretty interesting. It, it became fascinating. It really uh, broadened the scope to uh, eventually, you know, when the book came out, it was not a book really only for business people. It really became a book for anyone who wanted to create change in any area of their life, whether it's personal relationships or at work or at home or uh, in the world. Uh, it really became this, uh, you know, cha change agent handbook, if you will, uh, you know, s s that um, uh, I'm really happy with. I think it, you know, and, and I think the if you look at the uh, response that the book has gotten in the um, in the world, I think it's uh, it's already been pretty amazing, and the, the kind of feedback that I'm getting from people is really really good. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where you do you kind of realize that I mean organizations are people so so to 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 change an organization or to change anything you've got to mm. understand people so i can I can really understand mm. see the 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 journey there and and how that came to to being so so what so what is the core because we haven't really got it into now the word that I don't think everyone's really familiar with liminal liminal thinking 
like the premise for the book seems to be that uh, beliefs are models and uh, what we see and deem as reality is just a piece, small piece, tiny piece of reality. Uh, what is liminal thinking and what is the belief system that you're talking about? Yeah, great. Well, I mean, liminal thinking is simply a word that means threshold or boundary. Um, when you think about the word, you hear the word subliminal, most people are familiar with that word. What does it mean? Yeah. It's below liminal, subliminal. What does below liminal mean? Liminal is just the threshold. In the case of subliminal, it refers to the threshold of consciousness. So your your consciousness, your waking mind your, that you're, we're all familiar with is what we would typically call, uh, if we were going to use the right language, superliminal, above the threshold of consciousness. But we simply call it consciousness. And we needed a word for the thing that was below that level. That's where subliminal comes in. Um, the idea behind liminal thinking is simply that everyone has something in their life that they want to change, whether it's they want to quit smoking or they they want to be um, in a rela- they want to be in a relationship and they're not, or they're not, or they are and they want to be out of it, or they want to change their career, or everyone has something in their life that they want to change. And uh, liminal thinking is simply the idea that you can create these. Uh, more opportunities for change than uh, you can actually be very intentional about uh, change, you know, creating doorways or openings or thresholds that can lead to positive change. Hmm. So, and there are, there are lots of ways to do this. Um, and we could kind of start talking about that, but the, you know, the, there are doorways that could lead to change all around us all at all times. And uh, the thing that the primary thing that keeps us from changing is uh, being out of touch with what's going on in the immediate situation, in the immediate environment. Right. So if you think, you know, liminal periods are periods of that are periods of great transition or change boundary moments in our lives. So we have them in a large sense. You know, when you're when you're born, that's a very liminal period because you're going from being in a womb to out in the world. When you leave home to go to school or to, to, to go get a job, that's a very liminal period because you're having to reinvent your whole life. You're, mm. you're having to, you know, you're, or you move to a different city. You're, you're starting a whole new life. You're going to be, um, you're going to need to figure out who your doctor's going to be. You're going to need to figure out all these different things that you had been set in your old way and are not yet set in the new way. And the primary thing that keeps, and, as you probably have already figured out in your life, you guys are old enough to have seen this. When you when you do create a whole new life for yourself, there are all kinds of things that could change. It's a good time to quit smoking, right? When you move to a different city, because you're changing all of your habits. Uh, mm-hmm. To change a habit that you're stuck with is a good. It's a good time to do that, and you can you can intentionally create these kind of moments in your life, even when you're not moving. So you can actually make those kind of things happen. And the primary, the number one kind of method or approach there is simply to turn off your autopilot. Because when we are in a job or a relationship, we formulate these routines, these kind of daily habits and routines, the things that we do. And uh, those are the things that get you stuck. A lot of times those routines are good, but sometimes they're not good. And those are the things that get you stuck. And by turning off you don't even have to know what's going to happen to, to create a threshold. It's like, you don't have to know what's behind a door to open a door. Yeah. Right. 
But to, to create the opportunity, you have to first see the door or create the opportunity that you can see the door. And we have a lot of these, what I would say, are almost like hidden doors around us all the time that we can first identify the door and step through the door. And I could give you uh, examples from my life uh, where I've experienced this myself. Uh, I think one thing I will say about writing this book is it has, more so than any other book that I've written, it has truly transformed my life. Uh, mm. It's been therapeutical for you. Yeah, it's, I mean, I was mm. like, okay, that's an interesting idea. What if I try that? What happens? And there suddenly there's a door and suddenly I open mm. the door and something uh, changes in my life that's pretty profound. And the, that happened several times along the course of writing this book, which to me is a pretty good validation that I uh, have, have kind of stepped across a threshold myself in the course of writing it. Mm. So it's, it's saying that you have all these doors around you all the time, does that mean it sounds like you need some kind of courage, build up some courage to try another door than the one you usually go through? Because if you go through the same one all the time, you at least know what you'll get but you don't know what you'll get if you try another door. So does that require courage or are there tricks to actually trying other doors without, without needing that much courage? Yeah. Both. I mean, the first thing is to, to promise to tell yourself that you're not going to go through the doors that you usually go through. Mm -hmm. You think about it this way. You have, you probably both of you have a typical way that you go to work like a route whether it's a train or that you take or a car or however you get there, right? You have a way that you go. Mm. Well, if, uh, if there's construction or something and that way is closed to you, um, you have to find another way, right? You have to go around. You have to find another way. Um, you can do that to yourself. You can just say to yourself, I'm just going to go to work a different way today. And you don't have to... I guess it takes a little bit of courage, but it's also a trick, right? That to trick yourself to say, if you go any other way than you typically go, you're going to have, you're going to have to pay attention. You can't do it on autopilot because you haven't done it before. So immediately right there, you're forcing yourself back into the present moment. You're forcing your attention to your, to your present. And this is a kind of a key principle of liminal thinking because you can't change the past. No one can change the past yet. We haven't figured out how to do that. Uh, the future doesn't even exist. The future only in, exists in our imagination. The future hasn't got here yet. So the only time that you can create any change in your life is in the present. It's in the moment, present moment. It's, uh, and the reason that we don't do create change that we want to see more often is because the present moment, we're often on autopilot. And autopilot is simply... Your, your mind isn't there. Your mind is thinking about, you know, the meeting that's coming up or thinking about the argument that you had yesterday with your spouse or whatever it might be or, or daydreaming. Your mind is somewhere else and your body is going through autopilot. That's what autopilot does for us. It takes, it takes the pressure off you to pay attention to what's going on so you can think about other things, which is great if you love everything that's happening in your life. But if you're stuck and you want to see change happen, you have to actually bring your brain and your mind back to focus on what's going on around you. I'm just imagine, you know, someone you have, like you get in an argument on Facebook, right? You know, it's so easy, and we, it's so, uh, you know, this happens all the time, especially now in, in the U.S. <laughs> it's happening a lot for me. 
you uh, you you see these moments where people get in an argument and um, they it's even on Facebook and then when you're typing. Uh, have you ever had this experience where you had an argument with somebody and then you actually go back to what they originally said and you realize it's nothing like what you originally thought they were saying and you realize that, oh, I had all kinds of assumptions baked into what I thought they were saying and now I'm realizing maybe they were saying something very different than what I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because that's that's the power of being in the moment. You can, you can truly have, uh, you know, simply by... You're kind of assuming your your own ignorance, trying to trying to wipe your slate clean. Uh, you know, close your even if it's a Facebook thing. Close your eyes, take three deep breaths, focus on what it is that's actually being said there. Um, it's, there's some profound things that can happen when you just truly bring yourself into that moment. Yeah, and it sounds very. It sounds very obvious in a way, I guess, and it sounds very trite. And uh, you know, yeah, just bringing you know, just pay, be in the moment, live in the present. Uh, <laughs> and I think you know, it's it's fair if people, uh, you know, if people say that. But at the same time, I think it's it's quite it's easier to say, much easier said than done. And uh, what I've discovered and what I put into the book was a whole bunch of kind of principles which are principles about how the how the actual mind works how we trick ourselves how we lie to ourselves um kind of routinely how we we have ways of pretending to ourselves that the world is more stable than it than uh, it really is or that's more predictable and um there are also um practices there's six principles in the book and nine practices that are things that you can do to actually create uh, these doorways and these changes for your life. And yeah. the first principle is, <laughs> you know, get in touch with your ignorance. <laughs> mm-hmm. Start from the premise that you, that you are wrong or that you might be wrong. Mm. Um, I think this, is, this, this is, this is connected to the, um, to, to the fact that we, that reality is, is we can't, we can't know everything. And you, you, in the beginning of the book, you talk about that reality is, is kind of, you know, we, we gotta, you've got to become comfortable with the fact that you can't be all-knowing. There are limits to your, your understanding of reality. Um, so that kind of leads into believing that you could be wrong because you can't know everything. So that means you're open to being wrong. Yes, and it, it's, it's very easy to slip from um, there is no universally understood, agreed upon, and known reality to reality is just up to you to decide and i don't think that i want i don't want anyone to interpret what i'm saying as reality is up to the individual but the fact is that each one of us uh seven billion people or so on this planet has had a different set of experiences and is living in a very real sense a different reality from uh the Mm -hmm. other people that we talk to um Mm -hmm. being uh being uh a white male in the united states I can't really speak to what reality is to be a black woman, for example, in the United States. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, that reality is uh, beyond my ability to truly understand and perceive. Um, I don't know what, wh- how my life may or may not have been different if I have, if I my skin color was different or my gender were mm-hmm. different or, um, 
if I had grown up in a, a different circumstances financially or what have you, or in a different part of the country or speaking a different language, these are all things that are um, often when you start to p poke and dig around underneath the, uh, the arguments about reality, which are often there, right? You know, you start to poke around, you find that there is a lot underneath there that has to do with ex uh, reality as experienced by individuals. And I think this is a pretty important uh, thing to, for us to all of us to understand is that, uh, you know, I, I am not an authority on what it is like to be a Palestinian living in an occupied territory in Israel. I cannot speak with much authority on that topic. Um, I can speak, I mean, we, and, you know, what we call facts, you know, like mm. facts, uh, facts are things that are easily tend to be easily quantified. And, you know, but even even a film, even video, even I mean, um, what we what we often fail to account for and understand is the very, very legitimate experiences. And, you know, when people have beliefs, even when those beliefs are beliefs that we can um, argue away with facts, those beliefs are coming from out of experiences that are very real. And I think, you know, it's very important when you start bumping heads with people in, an, in your organization or in life um, to, to realize that let's, if you argue that there's a, there's a level at which we talk about that's very overt and very obvious of facts and the facts of the matter, um, there's a level underneath that, a lot of levels underneath that uh, sort of superficial level of the facts that are what people are truly trying to communicate. And there are a lot of things that get in the way of them communicating those things of feelings of vulnerability, um, feelings, you know, that it feels raw, you can feel raw, you can feel exposed when you're communicating your, your true feelings, because that makes you vulnerable to other people. And I think there, we, we should start with that kind of assumption that there, there's common ground underneath that this person that I'm arguing with has had experiences that have led them to this belief that, that I've had experiences that have led me to what appears to be an opposing belief. But underneath that, those experiences are very real and very valid. And those experiences need to be um, recognized as reality, part of reality. Reality is experienced. Yeah, th this is how I was, I was reading your book most of the time, actually. We're three weeks into Donald Trump's presidency. And this was sort of therapy for me as well. And... Uh, just the idea of allowing myself to listen to people more instead of calling out their uh, apparent or, or apparent non-factual uh, comments, which of course, are, as you're saying now, are based on something else, are based on experiences. So arguing about the facts is not what it, what's important here. What's important is finding out what the other person is all about, what, how their belief system came about. And all people have, like you say, also different belief system, which is interesting. And a lot of the book goes through how you can challenge your own belief system all the time because it's just, as we've said now, just a tiny bit of what reality, in fact, may be. Uh, and thinking about this, I realized that I w found myself nodding and agreeing with your with what you were writing all the time. And I, I was really loving uh, the book. And then I realized, but now I'm buying into Dave's beliefs. I should be challenging them, shouldn't I? <laughs> well, there's a there's a very um, one of the um, threads, uh, historical threads that I was able to identify for liminal thinking is a philosophy called pragmatism, 
which is uh, came from a, a group of people in the U.S. around the time of um, Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry James and um, these kind of American pragmatist philosophers. What what hap what they it, this is a little bit this particular uh, area of philosophy is out, a little bit out of vogue in in uh, modern philosophical circles, but I think it's a very very interesting one. When you hear the word pragmatism, you think practical, um, you know, what use, utility, useful, and that's really what it is. It's the, the idea is that um, theories should not be judged primarily on whether they are tr true or not, because truth, the truth of a, the relative truth of a theory is not necessarily the most relevant factor. They should be judged on it whether they're useful or not. And so theories, theories about the world, that uh, get you the results that uh, you want to get are, uh, you know, that's, that's perhaps a more useful or relevant measure of a theory than whether it's valid or true. Because the truth is something that is not always easy to uh, determine, for one thing. And for another thing, this was at a time, remember, when um, philosophers were struggling with the, a, let's say, um, they were struggling with the um, spiritual and the rational realm. Science and religion were, were really clashing heavily in this period of time. And these uh, uh, philosophers were struggling with, well, how do, we, how do we keep our moral and ethical foundations um, while also becoming scientists and embracing technology? And I think, you know, um, a lot, you know, if, if you want to follow a purely rational approach where logic and science dictate everything, um, where, where is the space for human beings? Because really, you know, logic and, and, and science and rational thinking do not help us determine what's good or right. Yeah. They only help us determine what can be or what is possible. Um, and pragmatism is, a, I think, it's kind of an interesting way to thread that needle because it doesn't invalidate anything in science, logic, or technology, but it also asks us to ask the question, to what end? Why? Uh, and the very, at the very basic you know, fact of the matter is that people don't do things because they're rational, <laughs> because we are fundamentally rational. I mean, if, if we were rational, nobody would smoke cigarettes, right? We were... Irrational, no one would be overweight. I mean, uh, yeah. everyone would exercise. We're not rational in, in very fundamental ways. We are driven by our, our emotions and our desires. And mm. uh, the fact that we should be recognizing this and taking it into account in our reasoning is surprisingly you know, controversial, although it shouldn't be, right? We, we have the saying, Leave your emotions at the door when you come into this meeting. You know, leave your emotions at the door and, and let's be objective in our mm -hmm. decision making. Well, the fact is, if you're if you're leaving your emotions at the door, you're leaving one of the most important factors that should play into any decision at the door. Yeah. Well, you're you're basically you're basically asking people to leave their realities at the door. You are, you are their realities exactly. and and their and their emotions and their care. So you you bring those people into a room and you make an objective or rational decision, which really usually just means that the boss's emotions are prioritized over everyone else's emotions. And you make those, you make those decisions and then the people leave the room and they, they put their emotions back on. And uh, that's why nothing happens after a lot of these 
uh, business meetings because people have been asked to be objective and rational when, and they've been asked to discount or displace their emotional reality. And when in fact, the thing that drives almost all human endeavor is emotion, passion, energy. That's where the fuel comes from for us to do the mm. things that we do. I think it's actually time for heptascale questions. <laughs> heptascale, that sounds heptascale. scary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That means it's a seven-point grading scale. Uh, so, so the way this works is uh, James and I each have a question, and we're going to ask it in a way so you'll understand how to grade it. But you, you can answer uh, on a scale of one to seven, but you cannot say anything more. <laughs> uh, so, so that will be your answer. And we may give you some time afterwards. We'll see how that goes uh, <laughs> to expand on your answers. Uh, do you want to go first, James? Okay, I'll go first. Um, on a scale of one to seven, how likely is it that an organization can change from being disconnected to connected? <laughs> it depends on the organization. So, uh, <laughs> one to seven, one to seven. <laughs> uh, four. <laughs> okay. Uh, on a scale of one to seven, to what extent do you think we can learn to control our own biases? Four. <laughs> You're going midway through both of them. <laughs> well, you give me a seven-point scale. That's that's really your, you know, your fault. <laughs> well, you can you can you can quickly give one minute answer to explain a little bit further one of the answer, one of the questions. Just one minute. Give a little bit more detail. Well, I think these two things that you have described are both extremely difficult, but possible. So I think we should. Uh, endeavor to do them. We should make it a priority to focus on these things because if we truly want to be um, happy and fulfilled and, and achieve the things that we want, they, they're fundamental. In fact, you know, you, you have put your finger onto the two things, you know, controlling our biases and um, creating the change that we want that are really fundamental to our success and happiness in life. Right. And if you can, if you can do these things, and I would add one more thing, uh, you know, cultivate a bias for testing assumptions, cultivate a bias for moving toward mm -hmm. the fear as opposed to away from the fear, moving toward those things that, you know, fascinate, but maybe terrify you and actually finding ways to take small steps in the direction that you want to go, even when it, it feels counterintuitive or, or uh, makes you nervous. That's the, that's the habit that we can cultivate. Um, I do think that these things are incredibly difficult. However, they are they are fundamental because without those things, we're not going to get the higher level stuff. Will fail. Yeah. Excellent way of answering. Elucidating yeah. further on both those questions. <laughs> well done, Dev. That was good. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really loved reading the book, but I was kind of surprised how Dave started off the interview because uh, those were not the topics I sort of came into this interview uh, expecting to talk about. Because he started out with agile and well, stuff that, like that. That was my fault. I expected uh, to talk more about yeah. Like, I mean, I brought I brought well, up the backstory. Yeah, sort of. I mean, but we started off. He made a really good point. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I did. It, it, a really good point. But but we yeah. started off three years ago talking to him about the principles of agility. Mm. 
um, which he'd come to, like he said, as as a result of his Connected Company book and 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 the the research and the conversations he'd had around, um, you know how yeah. how how that happens and and then when people mm. ask him about how do you make a Connected Company because my company is disconnected or or, or mm. whatever you'd say, then he starts looking in how you can have how, what what way you you could work with making organisational change. Um, mm. Which is liminal thinking for organisational change, which then leads us to liminal thinking for creating change, which is actual book. So, so mm. yeah, it kind of felt like we were going to talk more about the book contents in the actual textual content of the book, but it was a linear journey for Dave. I expected to talk a bit more about you know uh, our belief systems, uh, what truths are. He, he makes a really good point in the book about uh, how you can fake test your beliefs, and you just you just search the internet uh, because the internet is like. A grocery store for facts. It, I mean, whatever you believe, you can find something online that supports what you believe. Mm. And I've spent uh, some time <laughs> uh, with looking through feeds of Twitter feeds of, of uh, Donald Trump supporters these past uh, few days, mm. and it's it's scaring me so much because I sort of I sort of can understand how you can become part of that bubble and and ad- adhere to all these beliefs, and then I realize. Well, what about my own beliefs? Yeah. Because I'm also in a bubble. Uh, so, what is reality? And now I'm like in the matrix, and it's all blowing my mind. But this is the, I mean, exactly <laughs> this is this is some part of the things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really enjoyed reading the book as well, and it does make you mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. I, I've taken away a few personal awareness things from the book, and and one of them is the whole limit. You know, limited. Or your reality is your reality, and yeah, you were aware of that. Yeah. But but the book helps you, I think, understand that even more. And and I think. When you, especially if you're a Twitter user like like we are, um, I mean, I have I have two different Twitter accounts. Um, one of them is my my main, um, you know, UX and and Beantin, um Twitter account. My other one is 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 sport related because I don't think sport and the the UX stuff mix in a really good way. Um, and and mm-hmm. for you know pe- following people, I think it's better to to separate the two. They're very distinct groups. But but since since the the Trump thing, as you want to call it. Um, <laughs> I, I've noticed how these two streams that I kind of look at have how different they are, how similar they are, but different. Because um, Trump is one of the few things that suddenly appeared in both of these accounts. Um, you know, normally one's yeah. sport, normally one's um, you know more design in UX and so on. Um, now I've got a common subject, but they look different. I'm, I'm seeing, ah. you know, it, it, my 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 beans in one. It's very it's very one sided bubble I live in, you know, there's, there's, there's no one that supports Trump, basically. Everyone is up in arms about it and thinks it's horrific and horrifying. Whereas in my, in mm. my sport one, I'm seeing stuff that's, that's surprising me. Uh, mm. But it's a healthy reminder of my bubble. Exactly. And that yeah. I kind of liked about it. Um, mm. But I... So you, you really need to, you need to put yourself out there and understand other people more Instead of just, I don't know, banging your head against the wall, which it feels like sometimes, because you go into it with your idea of, well, yeah, like Dave said, with what a fact is, uh, but then stop, stop thinking so much about the facts and start listening to people and their stories. I think, and you'll be able to understand them better. And they'll, when people articulate their beliefs to you, that's when they understand themselves better as well. Mm. And I think that's what the power of all this is you can evolve yourself by opening all these other doors and, and realizing the world is a lot bigger than I thought. Yeah. There's more going on than I thought. Yeah. I mean, you can't, 
you you've I suppose what we're saying I guess my my interpretation of what Dave's saying is that you don't um you 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 don't change someone's opinion you actually create a shared reality from this point onwards yes i like that way of putting it yeah um, which is for me that's me my way of of, of looking at it and i, I kind of like that that I don't, i'm not convincing people mm. i'm not kind of trying to change necessarily i'm just trying to oh, well i'm changing through altering both paths of me and the person i'm or people i'm talking to exactly and realizing that you yourself ha- have to change for it to become a new reality for both of you. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not just your external world that has to change. Mm. That's I mean that's that's actually what he started out think, is talking about is for change to happen, it's you yourself that has to change, uh, not the not the world around mm. you. And you're, most people are always wa- waiting for other people to change, mm. or for people to give their approval or like what or support what you're doing and, and maybe you should look more inside yourself and seek out what is it that you want to yeah. do because even even if you get even mm. if you get someone to join your or, or join your belief system or, or agree with what you're saying once they've agreed with you your reality has mm. changed because now you've got someone else with you true yeah so even even if you've won the argument your argument has changed because now there's two of you mm. <laughs> Excellent. If you want to hear more of Dave on UX Podcast, um, then you can go back in the archives to episodes number 75, where we had our chat three years ago about the principles of agility on, and the, the seeds of thought that Dave had around liminal thinking, uh, as well as some other things we talked about too in that episode. Uh, we've also got episodes 14 Episode 14. Episode 14. Episode was it 14? 14 back in 2012 oh when we were at UX LX um, <laughs> that year. And then we talk almost entirely about brainstorming or game storming, sorry. Um, and Dave's um, meticulous detail to setting up workshops. Oh, no, it is worth listening back to that one. The, the audio is not quite as good as the new shows, but, but Dave um, is, is always entertaining to listen to. So visit uxpodcast.com for the links to those shows and any other links that we might add to the show notes. Um, if you can't already see them below us now in the podcast client you're using. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, then let a colleague or a friend know and encourage them to listen too. Remember to keep moving. And see you on the other side. Beep.